Well, how's everybody doing? Welcome to Renovate. Um, if you're a guest, I want to welcome you here tonight. It's a privilege to have you here. Um, if you didn't see our welcome tables on the way in, we have connection cards. And we'd love for you to get connected to our church and get connected to our young adult ministry and find out about all the things we're doing in the city of Fort Worth. And so if you haven't filled one of those out and you want to know more about what we do, please do that on the way out. Um, I've got a few quick announcements before we jump in, but if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Second Chronicles chapter 16. Um, I'm sure many of you are wondering where in the heck that is. Um, it's in the Old Testament. It's before the Psalms, before Job. Um, it's after First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, and then there's First and Second Chronicles in there. So while I'm talking, you can turn to Second Chronicles chapter 16. Uh, but a few quick announcements. Number one, y'all should have a blue piece of paper in your seats. And that is a leadership application. We are coming to a close for this first year of Renovate. Um, it's been an amazing year. Uh, so many things to celebrate. So many things to rejoice about. We've seen God work in amazing ways. And as I told the leadership team in our pregame meeting, none of this would have happened without them. Um, our volunteers, our leadership team have done a, an amazing job this year. Uh, not just with what we do on Wednesday nights, but all the different social events, all the different outreach ministries in the city of Fort Worth, the mission trips, uh, the ski trips, the, the, the mission that we're doing in the city of Fort Worth. It could not have happened if it wasn't for you guys. What we're doing here can't be done by just a few staff people. It has to be done by those who feel called to this ministry, who believe in the vision of this ministry, and feel like God is calling them to be involved in this. And so we're kind of ramping up for next year. We're going to take a month off in July, but we want to get a feel for who's interested in being a part of our team. And so even if you've been on the team before, if you would just fill that out, it won't take a second. It's just your name, email address, and cell phone. We'll get in touch with you. And we'll probably have a one-on-one -on -one meeting and talk about where you're gifted and kind of where you're passionate about and get you plugged in in that area. If you're new and you've been wanting to be involved but you haven't had the opportunity, now's the time. So you can fill that out, leave it in your seat, and we'll gather those and get in touch with you soon. But uh, I'm telling you, our, our vision for this ministry is that it wouldn't be staff-led, but it, that it would be lay leadership-led. And so... We need you, we love you, we thank you for what you've done up to this point, and we look forward to what you're going to do in the future. Secondly, we have our Big Belize mission trip coming up. It's July 26th to August 2nd. I've been on the uh, last two years of the trip, and it's been amazing. I tell people this is one of the things that I have no shame in, in selling you on going. Uh, there's other things we do that I'm like, hey, if you want to go, great. If you don't, no big deal. But the Belize mission trip is a big part of what we do in Life Stage 2 and with the young adult ministry. And I promise you, if you're on the fence and you're like, man, I've got to talk to my boss. I don't have the money. We help you raise the money. And I promise you, if you get on that plane and you go to Belize, you will not regret it. You will not get there and go, dang it, I wish I didn't let Tyler convince me to go on this, this trip. I have to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus. I have to serve people and build things and, and, and have community and meet new people. Man, I wish you wouldn't have invited me on this trip. That doesn't happen. I've never met someone that didn't go on this trip that didn't thank me for uh, persuading them to go. And so here's the deal. Tomorrow at 4 o'clock is the deadline. It's super, sensi uh, it's super easy to sign up. We've, we've got a, a renovate email that we've sent out every week for about a month. 
and you just walk through the online registration. And if you have any questions, you can talk to me or any of our staff. But it's easy to sign up. We have till 4 o'clock tomorrow. And I think we have about three or four spots left. I know some of you I've spoken with are on the bubble. And I just want to tell you, take the step of faith and go for it. You will not regret it. And so we've got that coming up. It's August uh, excuse me, it's July 26th to August 2nd. So please, if you're on the fence, I really want to implore you to be a part of this trip. You're, you're not going to regret it. Okay, so did any of y'all see the uh, TCU-NC State baseball game? Can I get an amen from the Horn Frog fans? If you're an NC State fan, I really apologize for this illustration. Just bear with me. But... Um, I'm a baseball guy, and this was an unbelievable game. I wish I would have seen it, but I heard about it the next day. TCU was dead in the water. Their season was over. They were one of the top-ranked teams in the country. They were expected to move on to Super Regionals, which is the step right before the College World Series. And they were down 8-1 to one in the bottom of the eighth inning with two outs. Their season was essentially done. NC State was playing well. They had everything going for them. And all of a sudden, with two outs in the bottom of the eighth, they just... Yeah, Kyle, if you need to step out, I'll wave at you and you can come back in when I'm done. Um, Yeah, so sorry. But two outs, bottom of the eighth, and NC State fell apart. And I think they made six errors in the inning. TCU scored six runs to make it eight to seven. And And then in the bottom of the ninth, they scored one run to tie it. And then they won an extra innings on a single in the bottom of the 10th, and they beat NC State. They're going on to Super Regionals, one step away from the World Series. NC State dominated most of that game. I mean, that game was, was in the bag for NC State. But what I love about baseball is you don't run out of time. You've got to finish the game. And we've all heard the line, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And guess what? They didn't finish it. They got off to a great start, but they didn't close the deal. And in the Christian life, as I was thinking about this game and reflecting on what I wanted to talk about tonight, this happens all the time in the Christian life. Some of you, when you were kids, you went to VBS because your mom made you, and at VBS or whatever church function you had in the children's ministry, you heard a gospel presentation, and you said, I want to receive Christ, I want to believe in the gospel, I want to be saved. And you were on that mountaintop. You, were, you had that spiritual high and you had this strong faith and you were excited about that faith. And then pretty quickly after that you went into kind of this, this what I call kind of a flat line where you became complacent and comfortable. And some of you, maybe it was the high school ministry. You went on the youth camp and you had, you had the preacher that was all super charismatic. And at the last day he's like a uh, 30-minute gospel presentation after the 30-minute sermon. And finally you're like... I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And you go up to the front and you give your life to Christ and you're on this mountaintop high. And then after months go by, you get back into the same routine and you've kind of lost that zeal. You've lost that fire. And, and you're, you're, you're not doing well. And some of you, maybe it was a recent conversion. And you're just now kind of coming off that high. But it's not how you start in the Christian faith. It's how you finish And there's a great passage in 2 Chronicles 16 that I want to use as an illustration of that. And I love what Paul says in Romans 15. Don't turn there. But here's what what Paul says about the Old Testament in chapter 4. He says, For whatever was written in former days, excuse me, chapter 15, verse 4, 
For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Why are all these stories about kings and judges and things that were happening in the Old Testament thousands of years ago preserved and kept in the Bible? They were kept in the Bible for our encouragement and for our hope. And so tonight, I want to offer you encouragement and hope from this passage, although it's a tragic ending to this person's life in this passage. So we're going to talk about a gentleman named Asa. He was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. And I want to kind of set the context on this so you have a feel for where we're at in the storyline of the Bible. And so I'm a dry erase board guy. Some of you know me know that. So we're going to use this dry erase board. But let me just give you the context. About a thousand years before Jesus, King David reigned over Israel. And so it was one united kingdom. And David was the king. And then Solomon became king after David. And it was still a united kingdom. It was the nation of Israel. And then after Solomon, problems started happening. And all of a sudden, the kingdom divided. And you had the northern kingdom which is often in the Old Testament referred to as Israel. And then you had the southern kingdom, which is often referred to as Judah. And of the twelve tribes of Israel, which there were twelve tribes that were part of the nation of Israel that came into this land, the promised land, two of the tribes stayed here, Judah and Benjamin. The other ten tribes were in the north. Okay, And down here, the first king of the southern kingdom was Rehoboam, And the second king was a guy named Abijah. And Abijah gave birth to a son whose name was King Asa. So King Asa became the king of the southern kingdom. And in the north was a king named Bashah. And this is going to be important in a moment. And so we've got this divided kingdom. And King Asa was the king of the southern kingdom. And most of the kings after this division, the Bible says things like, and so and so reigned for this many years and he was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And then another king comes. So and so reigned and he was wicked in the sight of the Lord. Most of the kings of Israel and Judah were wicked in the sight of the Lord. They, they raised up idols and they worshiped false gods and the Lord was not pleased with them and bad things happened but the Bible says in chapter 14 verse 2 about Asa that he did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God so he started his early years you know it's not how you start it's how you finish but the way King Asa started was great it was great things were going well he was tearing down the idols in Israel He was tearing down all the the things that people were worshiping other than God. And he began to to reinstitute the word of God and the law of God, the Mosaic covenant. And the people began to worship the one true living God in the southern kingdom. And God was blessing them. And things were going great. And then something happened in chapter 14. A crisis happened. And here's what the crisis was. The Ethiopians, this, this nation that is referred to as Ethiopia in the Bible. It might not be the exact location of modern-day Ethiopia. But they invaded Judah from the south. They came up from the south. They were from Africa. And they invaded. And they had over 1 million soldiers in their army and 300 chariots. And and chapter 14 goes through all all their credentials. They had more than double the size of Judah's army. 
and they were coming full force. And so these two kingdoms didn't get along. And now Judah is having to worry about this million man army that's coming in to take over down here. And so we've got a crisis. And the crisis is this massive Ethiopian army that's coming in full force. Now what would you do in that moment? What would you do as the king when you know that you're about to be invaded and the armies double your size? We've seen what, what, what a lot of kings do in the Old Testament, but here's what King Asa does with this particular crisis. It says in verse 9 of chapter 14, Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and came as far as Merishah, which would be kind of like right in here. So he was getting close to Jerusalem, which was up here. And so he comes in and here's what King Asa does. It says in verse 11, And Asa cried to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help. Between the mighty and the weak, help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So what's the response to this crisis in King Asa's early years? It is reliance on the Lord. Reliance on God. You know, in the Old Testament talks all the time about God being a warrior for His people. And how God helps His people win the battles. And King Asa knew that because he was a godly man and he was a good king. And he responded with, Lord, help us. We can't do this on our own. We need you. You are a God that can handle this and we want to praise and glorify you, but we need you to come through. And what does God do? God comes through in a mighty way. It says in verse 12, So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled, and, and the army of Judah chased after them and destroyed this Ethiopian army. Destroyed them. And it was God who prevailed. And so the verdict on this response is telling. Because in, in chapter 15, God sends a prophet named Azariah to speak to Asa. So this is a prophetic word, like a sermon to Asa. And it says, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And then he goes on and just, just pretty much encourages and blesses King Asa and Judah, and so the verdict was encouragement, encouragement, and praise for King Asa and Judah, and the result was peace. Not just peace for a few years, but peace for 35 years in Judah. Think about that. You're surrounded by all these enemies, even the north, Israel is your enemy, and then above the north is Syria, which we're going to hear about in a minute. But even though they're surrounded by enemies, the Lord gave them peace for 35 years. So it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Y'all know I'm going somewhere, so what happened? Something happened in those 35 years with King Asa. The Bible doesn't say, but here's what I think may have happened. What happens to a Christian when things are going really well? You're comfortable, you're secure, You've got your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your spouse, your, your, your family's doing well. You've got 
you've got all the things in your life that are going well, what tends to happen? You tend to slowly move away from like, Lord, I need you every morning. You don't wake up going, Lord, if you don't come through for me, I am done. You know, you're not relying on the Lord. You're kind of, you move into this reliance on yourself. And I think what happened is in this 35 years of prosperity and peace, King Asa forgot who got him there. And so guess what happened in the 36th year? This is chapter 16. So if you have your Bible so you can follow along with me, because this is where we're going to kind of focus in on. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Bashah, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come into Asa, king of Judah. So we got a new crisis. And what King Bashah is doing is he's wanting to go, he's wanting to go into the southern kingdom and build a city that's about this far from Jerusalem. I don't think I spelled that right, but we'll be all right. Jerusalem is right here. It's only five miles north of Jerusalem. And it's on a major trade route that if they built this city and took control of that route, they can affect food supply, the economy, and they can drain out the people of Judah. And this is a threat. This is an act of war. And so here we go. we got a crisis. And it's this city called Ramah. I don't think I wrote it down over there. Yeah, Ramah. That's going to be built in a very bad location for Judah. And so what does King Asa do at this point? What do you think he should do? Probably what he did when he beat the million man army. This giant behemoth of an army. And cry out to the Lord. But what what does the Bible say here in verse 2? Here's what Asa does in response to this crisis. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord. So the same treasures that he took from this Ethiopian army, he took and put in the temple of the Lord as an offering of thankfulness and gratitude. He took the very gold and silver from the temple of God, it says here, and the king's house, and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. And Syria is right up here. Huge army right up above the northern kingdom. And they're actually in a covenant with the northern kingdom. They're in an alliance. And he sends him, he sends him gold and silver to bribe him to break the covenant with Israel and join him against Israel in a war. And so it goes on in verse 3. There is a covenant between me and you as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go break your covenant with Bashah, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered several cities and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Bashah heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. So Israel, I mean, so Syria and Judah teamed up against Bashah. And because of the attack on the northern side of the kingdom, he took all of his resources and went up that direction. And so he just completely stopped the building of this city. And then the next verse says that Judah and his army actually took all the materials from this city that they were using to build and built other cities for them. Now, when you look at that, you think, what a strategic move. That, that sounds like a really good move. And we're going to get into that in a minute. But at this point... 
King Asa had to make a choice. And the choice he made was, I'm going to rely on man. And this is, the, this is what I want to hone in on tonight. In our lives, we're constantly on a daily basis faced with a choice. And the choice is we can rely on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the rock, the refuge, our strength, our Savior, the creator of all things, the one who knows all things, and, and who loves to provide for his children. We can rely on him, or we can put our hope and trust in ourselves and man. That's a choice we make on a daily basis. I can remember when Ari and I, my wife and I, uh, moved to Fort Worth in 2009. We had no job. Um, I didn't have a scholarship for school. I didn't know I was going to pay for it. Uh, We didn't have a place to live. I had no prospects of anything. We just believed the Lord was calling us to come back to Fort Worth from Louisiana. And at that point, I had a choice to make. Am I going to freak out and just be a wreck emotionally and physically and and just be a slave to anxiety and fear? Or am I going to rely on the Lord and say, Lord, I think you're calling me to do this, so I'm going to trust that you're going to provide for me. That was a decision I had to make. Some of you who are going on the Belize trip, you've already wrestled with that in the last 48 hours. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to raise money. I don't know how, I don't know how I'm going to respond to being in another country. I've never been in another country. What if I get sick? What if I don't know what to say? What if I'm in a dangerous place? And you've said, you know what? I'm going to rely on you and I'm going to see if you'll come through for me because I can't do it on my own. We're all faced with a choice as Christians. Who are we going to rely on? Are we going to rely on God or are we going to rely on man? And that's the choice that King Asa was faced with and he chose to rely on man. And what it actually looked like was a major success. And I think it's interesting that a lot of times what other people perceive as a success in your life is actually a lack of faith and belief in God. On the outside, it looks like you're making all the right decisions. It looks, from a worldly perspective, it looks wise, it looks rational, it looks, looks like, man, you're really playing your cards right, but in God's perspective, you're acting in unbelief. That's one of my biggest fears for Renovate. One of my biggest fears, I've, I've been assembling a really good team of men and women to be on my staff, and I've got a really good team of lay leaders, and I've got awesome volunteers and we've got a church that loves us and has given us money and resources and a building and we've got video and graphics and lights if we don't watch out guess what's going to happen we're going to start thinking that this is all about us and that it's all dependent on our abilities and we're going to stop remembering that this is all about God and if he doesn't come through we can't change one heart there's not one heart that we can change because that's a God thing And so I I want to take this passage and say, renovate is going to rely on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to do all the things that are our responsibility. You know, Judah still had to use their soldiers and attack the army. But I'm going to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, if you don't come through for us, this this is nothing. This is just a glorified country club, social club. And so that's the choice we're faced with and for King Asa, it looked like he made the right choice. But just like over here, there was a verdict announced on his previous battle. God sends another prophet to announce a new verdict, and this prophet's name is Hanani. It's in it's in the passage. Hanani, the seer, doesn't go well for him. He goes to King Asa and says, "You made a horrible decision." 
if you would have relied on God, he was not only going to give you the northern kingdom, he was going to give you Syria as well. You were going to have a double victory. But because you made that partnership with Syria, they're going to be a thorn in your flesh, and you're going to have wars the rest of your kingdom. That's the result. So condemnation and judgment, and then the result is war. And heartache. Now, as you might imagine, King Asa was not a happy camper at that point. And we'll see here that after he heard that, that he threw Hanani in prison. And he also persecuted some of the other people of Judah for partnering with King with, with the seer Hanani. Things did not go well. And one of the interesting things that Hanani did with King Asa, he said in verse 8, if you're following along, he said, He's essentially like, what are you doing? Why in the world would you make that agreement with Syria when you just saw what God did a few years earlier? And he says, were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, He gave them into your hand. He gave them to you. And I I think about my stupidity often when I forget about what God's done for me in in the past. And I get so caught up in my circumstances that I think, oh, I've got to take control of this. I've got to start manipulating people to get, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble or I've got a, a trial or a difficulty and I want to take matters into my own hand and start making decisions with people and I'm seeking like a dozen people's counsel and I never go to the Lord. And it's like, Tyler, have you forgot the dozens and dozens and dozens of times He's come through for you in the past? Have you forgotten that? But unfortunately, guys... Because of our sinful nature, we have short memories. I mean, I think of the nation of Israel when they were delivered from Egypt. How many days was it before they started complaining? I mean, they literally saw God part the Red Sea, this miraculous thing, and two days later they're whining because they're tired of bread when it's being rained down from heaven. It's like, man, I'd rather be a slave. It's like, what? But we do that all the time. We think with this new trial or tribulation in our life that that we, we just think, well, where's God in this? So what, what are we going to do? And it's like, remember what God's done in the past. He's right there with you. And then one of my favorite verses in the Bible is in verse 9. It says this about our God. This is the character of the God that we serve. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward Him. Don't get hung up on the word blameless. It doesn't mean perfect. The Greek word means whole. Whose hearts are wholly devoted to Him. Whose hearts are trusting in Him as their refuge and strength. It literally says that God is running about. God is running to and fro over the whole earth looking for people who are relying on Him. And I was trying to think of analogies, and this analogy doesn't do it justice, but I think you'll get the picture. It's like Batman and Gotham. You know, picture Batman on a skyscraper in Gotham, just, you know, with his wings out, and he's just overlooking the city, and he's looking to and fro for someone who's in trouble. And what does he do? He sweeps down and he saves them. 
He's just he's aggressively looking, and God is aggressively looking over the whole earth. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter how many sinful mistakes you've made in the past. It doesn't matter how far you think you are from God. The moment you cry out to God, He is waiting for that moment to come in and to save you. That's the God that we serve. And this is in the Old Testament. This is not an angry judgmental, gray-bearded, you know, law keeper who's checking it off and, and, and just loving to show judgment. What our God loves to do is show His glory by saving people. That's what He loves to do. And tragically, King Asa forgot about that, and now condemnation and judgment in the rest of his time was war and difficulty. And in fact, at the end of his life, it says in the, in the last part of chapter 16... He gets a foot disease, and many people think it's judgment for his disobedience. And even in the foot disease, the passage says that he sought help from physicians, and he did not seek help from the Lord. It doesn't mean we can't seek help from physicians. I mean, God is the one who's created these technologies of medicine, and doctors are extremely valuable. But it's, it's this heart change in Asa that he doesn't even consider God. He goes right to the physicians to, to be healed, and he dies. He dies the, the disease, and just a few years after this victory against the Ethiopian army, he dies. Now, overall, his ministry, he was an honorable king. He was a good king, and the people respected him, and it was an honorable death. But think of what he missed. Think of the joy that he missed. He started out good, but it's not how you start, it's how you finish so I want to talk to a few of you tonight. The first group are those who outwardly you, you look the part. You're religious. You show up. You check off your to-do list. You do all the right things. And, and really, I can't see hearts. I would look at you and go, man, this person seems like a good, godly person. But on the inside, you're relying on yourself. You are on a daily basis not making decisions in reliance on God, when, when you hit these difficulties and these stumbling blocks and these crisis situations, you're continually relying on yourself and man. But yet on the outside, you look super spiritual and you, 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 you have this kind of self-sufficiency and self-righteousness and people look at you and go, man, that person's really got it together. They would never understand what I go through. And yet, in reality, you couldn't be further from the Lord. Because your heart is far from Him. Because you don't even realize your need of Him on a daily basis. You're not dependent on Him. And so, for those of you who are here tonight, and guess what? I'm a part of that. There have been many times in my Christian journey where I have fallen out of the gospel mentality and fallen into the works righteousness mentality where I needed a wake-up call to say, Lord, oh yeah, I am utterly dependent on you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. And for those of you who are in that place, good news. The Lord is, is running to and fro throughout all the earth, searching for someone who will cry out in dependence on Him and say, Lord, I need you, help me. He will come instantly to, to, to strengthen you and to uplift you, to be your rock and your salvation and your refuge. And He will transform your heart and He will soften it so that you're not looking down on people who are broken and maybe aren't at your place spiritually, at least perceived. And he's going to give you a heart that wants to come alongside those people and love them as Christ has loved you. The other group of people, 
probably don't know a lot about what I'm talking about, have never heard of these figures in the Old Testament, don't even know the Old Testament, and it took you probably a few minutes to even find out where this passage was. And for those of you who are in the room who have been running from God, who have never experienced the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ in the gospel, God is running to and fro throughout all the earth, looking for one who will cry out in mercy and say, help me, save me. And he will come along you in this very moment and save you from your sin and from death and from bondage to this world. And he'll give you a new heart. He'll give you a new life. He'll give you a new hope. He'll give you a new direction. He'll give you a new strength. And he will be your refuge the rest of your life. And when you fall away, the moment you repent and return to him, he will accept you with open arms. And so I'm calling you tonight to, to why would you not put your trust in this God? Why would you not push, put your trust in a God whose mission statement is to look for people who are desperate and dependent on him and to save them? Because it's a win-win for God. He saves you and, and restores you, which he loves to do, but he also gets all the glory. So I'm calling you to trust in him tonight. How do you do that? You just, in the quietness of your seat, if you want to, we're going to have some, a song at the end in the quietness of your seat, or you can come up to the front and talk to me or talk to one of our leaders and just say, I want to know this God who is searching for people who are desperate and who wants to save them and change them. I want to know this God, Jesus Christ. And we'll walk you through how to start a relationship with him. But really all you need to do is cry out and say, save me, Lord Jesus. I believe in what you've done on the cross. Save me. I need you. And he will come through for you. And then the third group, very quickly, you're the ones who've really been captured by the gospel. You know your dependence. You're in a place where you do wake up and say, Lord, I need you and thank you. And, and you're continually thinking about the gospel and what God's done for you in the past. And you're in a good place. I just want to plead with you. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Don't lose sight of that. Don't be enticed by the world that says there are better things out there. You found it. As Ben likes to say all the time, you found the pearl of great price. You found it. Don't look away. Keep on the course that you're on. He's a great God. He's a loving God and he's a merciful God. That, listen, young adult ministry, renovate, whatever, whatever we call it. I want to see what God will do if a large group of people wake up every day and say, Lord, we need you. Help me. And Lord, we need you. Help us reach the city of Fort Worth. What we want to do, we can't do in our own strength. I don't care how much money we have. I don't care how many cool, you know, little trinkets and, and graphics and all of the things that we have. If you don't help us, we're not going to see any fruit in the city of Fort Worth. I want to be a ministry that chooses the early years, not the later years of King Asa's life. And I'd love for you to join with me in praying on a consistent basis for God to do a great work through this ministry. Let's pray together. What a simple passage that many people have read through and haven't really thought about. But what amazing truths about your character. This passage is really about who you are. You're, you're a God who loves to save people and heal people, and restore people, and to renovate people's lives. You're a God who 
isn't the least bit turned off by the, the issues and baggage and sin and depravity that we have in our lives. All you're looking for is a broken heart that says, Lord, save me. And you will sweep down and take us out of the sinking waters or sinking sand and put us on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. Whether we don't know Christ or are believers, that's the answer is to always go back to our rock and our refuge, which is Jesus Christ. Lord, may this ministry be about you. May we glorify you by bragging about our weaknesses. May we not create an atmosphere where people think, oh, these people would never understand me. I'm too broken. May we be a place where people say, man, these people would totally welcome me in, even though I've done this, this, and this in the past, because their God would totally welcome me in. Lord, thank you for Jesus. I thank you that King Asa was not the promised king. He was a sinner too, just like us, and we saw that in this passage. I thank you that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the king that's ruling your kingdom that's in place right now that all of us who've trusted in Christ are now a part of. The kingdom of God that's reigning over all the world. We love you, Lord, and we praise you and we thank you for your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.